Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens. This is the show that respects your intelligence. We honor you as a citizen, and we're willing to bring you the stories that so often the mainstream media ignores, and the perspectives that so often big tech and a lot of your politically correct censors want to silence. Well, I'm honored that today we brought in the Dean of Liberty University School of Business, Dave Bratt, Many of you will remember that in 2014, he launched what many people thought was an impossible campaign against then House Majority Leader Eric Cantor. And guess what? Dave won. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Really, really great to have you here you in the studio. Great to be on with you, Eric. Thank so, you. So, Dave, you, back in 2014, yep. you took on a race that brought national attention, and a lot of people saw that race as a common man fighting against the yep. swamp and the establishment. Today, we're at a place where I hear from our viewers on a daily basis, and they say, look, the fight in D.C. is no longer between Republicans and Democrats. It's between the common people and the establishment and the swamp. What do you say? Well, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. And I, I think uh, as President Trump flew off on the plane, yes, you saw our leadership uh, kind of validating that. Yeah. And so uh, President Trump, uh, one of the great contributions he made is he made it very clear that what we thought was true in the past is absolutely true. Yes. Right uh, from corruption, the FBI, CIA, State Department, deep state used to be kind of a, you know, tinfoil hat term. Now everyone's like, well, of course it is. And so, yeah, I, I, uh, my race uh, was very atypical back then, but I anticipate a lot of primary challenges now. Yeah. And there are clear issues coming up which are going to separate uh, the, the two camps, right? Immigration's coming right at us uh, yep. from South and Central America. Yep. Uh, and then the China issue, there's no better issue, which yes. separates the establishment from uh, the person yes. who would like to see their wages going up and getting a raise. Uh, wages have been flat for 40 years. So, yeah, that's the new divide. Uh, and uh, the, uh, the, the, the populist branch of the Republican Party, it, you know, the populist, it's almost a pejorative. It's a bad name now. But it should be a good name. It's just the average citizens. Just right? means that you're right. out there for the right. people. You right. want to fight for right. the people. Imagine which that. <laughs> I always believed was the very reason That's why you it. got elected That's in the first place was right. that you actually wanted to fight for, for yep. the people. Exactly. And one of the things that we hear from so many people is a tremendous amount of disappointment in the Republican Party, particularly the yep. establishment wing yep. of the Republican Party. You obviously got into a fight when there were fewer folks who recognized the, this big fight against the establishment. How have you seen this develop over time? As you think about your race in 2014, yeah. 
President Trump being elected in 2016 yep. to where we're at today in 2020? Yeah, well, uh, it's been quite a dynamic, right? When when I went up there, I, I, I got a PhD in economics and they wouldn't put me on a finance committee or nothing, right? So I wasn't on an A committee. I, they wouldn't let me on a B committee. I was on the C committee down in the basement somewhere. And so those committees, A means it's a money committee. And then on top of that, the establishment wouldn't give me a dollar. So you can go look at that, right? So from the Republican coffers, right. I never got a dollar for re-election, et cetera. And then uh, obviously as President Trump came in, that changed the dynamic drastically. Yes. And so then uh, there's more of a, a, a populist mainstream uh, influence in Republican circles, uh, but also uh, the news media and big tech and the establishment and healthcare, socialization, et cetera, comes yes. to bear against the Republicans. So we've lost, right? All the major mm -hmm. entities, right? Mm -hmm. K to 12 shot, higher ed's totally shot, uh, the deep state shot, healthcare's corp now corporate America, which you, you used to think yeah. was being a bastion for Republicans, is now in Democrat hands. And there's a debate between you know, stakeholder capitalism and shareholder uh, capitalism, et cetera. And you, you're just scratching your head, right? As a friend of Milton Friedman, yeah. I'm just dumbfounded how we've done this in, in about 10 years. Yeah, and Dave, break down for our viewers who kind of, you know, we have viewers obviously all over the country. Yep. They watch what happens in Washington, D.C. They get a sense that something's wrong, that people aren't working for them, people aren't fighting for them. But if you could, you were there on the front lines. You took on Eric Cantor. You won. You came in. But then if you could break down a little bit for folks a little more about what actually happened, how the establishment yeah. tried to isolate you. So as you yeah. said, like there are these money committees, yeah. right? Which essentially means you got power over money, right. which means in Washington speak that you can go out and get money from yeah. lobbyists. That's how they're playing the game. Yeah. And because you weren't playing the game, they kept you off of all of those big yeah. money committees. But talk our viewers through how the establishment actually attacks people even when they win and get into office. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it goes from the big all the way down to the petty. I mean, I showed up one day in the member's cafeteria and found out I was banned from the cafeteria. So there, there's the pettiness, right? So you got the most powerful people in the country keeping you from the cafeteria right. uh, as a congressman. And so right. you're like scratching your head going, wow, I thought I left eighth grade yes. a long time ago. Uh, but it, it, it's more serious than that. Uh, you notice attacks uh, coming here and there. Uh, when it's re-election time on the Democrat side, they all fight together. Uh, they come together at some point, right? Mm -hmm. And they uh, they help the freshmen pass bills or get some name back in the district. I got nothing. And so the Republican team is very vindictive. Mm -hmm. And the irony of it is I ran on the Republican platform. Right. So in Virginia, we had this right. Virginia Republican creed. Yes. And I said, there's nothing wrong with the creed, except none of the Republicans are doing it, yes. right? Adherence yes. to the Constitution, fiscal yes. responsibility, uh, moral backbone, et cetera. Yes. The things that every American wants to see, especially on the Republican side. And uh, we believe in the Judeo-Christian tradition uh, and in God because that God is the author of our inalienable yes. rights. Yes. The Democrats have taken God totally out of the Democrat platform. And it... And you got to say that slow so people catch it. Yeah. There's hardly any God language left in the Democrat platform. And yes, and yet yesterday, Biden, you would have thought he was at an evangelical rally. He's dropping the God bomb all over the place. God and our troops. Mm -hmm. And thank you for your service. Well, you're welcome. Yeah. And uh, so just on and on and on with the patriotic stuff when it's symbolic. But nothing when it comes to substance, nothing in the first 100-day agenda right. he announced or in the executive decisions yesterday had anything to do with God 
uh, renewing American values, uh, the troops, uh, w increasing wage rates for uh, folks that have been just devastated in small yeah. business. Or even, you know, protecting people of faith and making sure that those basic First Amendment rights to exercise your faith, to go to church. We've seen this tremendous assault against them during coronavirus. Who would have believed, you know, two years ago that, you know, there'd be a time in the United States of America where they try and make it illegal for people to go to church, right? right. So, so, so a, lot, a lot has changed. When you look economically at where we're at as a country, again, you talk about fiscal responsibility. We've seen, again, uh, the Biden administration has, has come in. What most concerns you when you look at the economic state of yeah. the country right now? Yeah, well, if you read, you know, Adam Smith, The Invisible Hand, even Keynes, Animal Spirits, uh, Milton Friedman, the machine now is dead. Right. If you look at the, the, the true uh, life in the economy, if you strip out seven trillion dollars of money yeah. from the Federal Reserve System and then if you stripped out 30 trillion in debt, right, 30 mm -hmm. trillion dollars in debt uh, from the future that we have to pay. So we've stolen 30 trillion yes. from the future to prop up the corpse. So actually the stock market right, is booming because of the seven trillion in funny money and the 30 trillion in debt. But mm -hmm. it's humming at the price of you've taken that from the next generation yes. of people. Yes. So the economy is not an economy. Everybody knows it. Yes. Right. The overvaluation of the stocks is going to pop at some point. Yes. But we got another couple trillion coming that probably gets you a few more months. And then people have to look at the fundamentals. Then you'll get a little bit of inflation starting to rear its head. And when you got to pay back 30 trillion with a higher interest rate. Yeah. Pop. You're in real right. trouble. You're in real trouble. And I think yep. one of the things that's so striking about the disconnect between Washington, D.C. and politicians and regular yep. people is that regular people say to themselves, hold on a second. Right. Like all of these small businesses are closing. Right. All of these family run restaurants are closing. <clears throat> yeah. All of these people, hardworking people are out of work because of yeah. coronavirus. But then they watch big yeah. techs doing just yep. fine. Big techs even more powerful. Right. They're making more money and they're using that power now to censor conservative voices. It's very concerning to American people who are now watching, I think, the connection between the establishment, big tech, and a lot of these big corporations. Yeah. Dave, when you when you talk to folks uh, around the country, and I know you do you do you do a lot of that. What's your hopeful message yeah. as we move forward? Because you and I have talked. Despair is not an yeah. American value. No. We have always been. We've been through hard times. Yeah. We can revive the American yeah. Republic. We've got about a minute left. Yeah. What's your sense for how we actually yeah. dig out from where we're at right now? Yeah. Well, there, there's going to be another great awakening. It's in it's in its formative stages right now. You can feel it coming. People are starting to mention God. Even some of the talk show hosts are mentioning God. Uh, so there's a spirit that that is the guts of Western Civ, right? It's yes. Athens and Jerusalem, yes. right? Reason yes. and revelation yes. together yes. gives you a grand yes. experiment that we should be thankful. Yes. Uh, it, it, it's sprouting. It's coming back. It requires our action. Right. And so uh, building the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Yes. And uh, I think the American people are up for it. So I, I trust the American people beyond comprehension. Yeah, I, I do too. I, I have always found that you can trust in the common sense, yep. in the courage, in the compassion, in the wisdom yep. of, of American people, all of whom say, you know what, 
I'm not perfect, but I can find a way to make this world that's better. Right. I can that's find right. a way to make my neighbor's life better. I can find a way to make my community better. And I can find a way to make this the greatest republic in the history of the world. I can make it even better yep. for my children and my grandchildren. Well, Dave, we so appreciate you being on. Thank you for your perspective. Look forward to having you on again. Yeah, thanks, sir. And you do a great job on this show. It's fantastic. Thank, Thank you, you, sir. Thank you. Again, folks, that was Dave Bratt. He is Dean at Liberty University School of Business. You can check him out online and check out Liberty University as well. When we come back, we've got a fantastic show. We're going to be right back with Dr. Ben Carson. Stay right with us. Well, welcome back to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Reitens. This is the show that respects your intelligence. We bring you the stories and the perspectives that the mainstream media so often ignore. And right now, I'm honored to bring in Dr. Ben Carson, President Trump's former Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. First, Dr. Carson, thank you for your service and thank you for joining us. Uh, Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. you bet. We all recognize that you and your amazing family are very deserving of a vacation right now. So we're particularly grateful uh, to host you on, on this program tonight. Dr. Carson, you spent a life in service. As this chapter closes, what do you want to share with the American people? Well, a, a number of things. First of all, uh, it's important to recognize that there are a lot of good people in government. Uh, a lot of career employees, sometimes they get a bad rap. And there are many of them who are incredibly dedicated, uh, particularly around disasters, hurricanes and things like that. People stay there all night working around the clock, uh, go out and visit places, uh, put themselves in peril. So uh, do reassess that uh, mm. opinion of government workers. Not all are like that, but many are. and. It's an opportunity to really do good things uh, for people. If the government doesn't overreach, you know, if they realize what their purpose is, purpose is to facilitate life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for the people. Yes. And uh, that was one of the reasons that people came to this country. And uh, there are some who recognize that and some who don't. So I also want to encourage people, particularly young people, to think about government service. You know, right now, it may not be attractive because you say, why would I go into government and, you know, be persecuted and have my family persecuted and be canceled and all this kind of stuff? Um, but, you know, if, if only those kind of people go into government, what are we going to end up with? Right. We have to have a counterbalance. And Dr. Carson, if you could talk a little bit about your governing philosophy at HUD. What was the governing philosophy that you brought to your work there? Well, the key thing is uh, when I came there, the place was in financial shambles. Uh, we hadn't had a clean audit for multiple years. Mm. And, uh, you know, I realized immediately from experiences that I'd had before, you know, I spent 18 years on the Kellogg board, 16 years on the Costco board, uh, started a national nonprofit. So uh, even though people thought that I only knew medicine, I knew a lot of other things. <laughs> and it was very clear that you couldn't have an efficient and effective organization 
when your financial underpinnings were in shambles. So right. we were able to uh, to go out and recruit uh, Irv Dennis from Ernst & Young, 37-year veteran, a senior partner, uh, to come in. And he and his team were able to work across the silos to bring real fiscal responsibility. Mm. It started an integrity program. It worked extraordinarily well. And then that, along with our IT upgrade, because our 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 platform was so old, it was 40 years old. The only good thing is it was so old, nobody could hack it. But, you know, it just, <laughs> it just was not working. So uh, together, we're bringing IT up to, up to speed and fixing the financial uh, problems that we were having. We were able to then provide much more freedom to the various jurisdictions who were receiving grants. Mm. Uh, because we had a mechanism whereby we could follow every penny. And we had even alarm systems to let us know when things were not being spent appropriately. Uh, and, and those are the things that I hope will be continued. That kind of, of responsible uh, government, because you know we are talking about the taxpayer's money. Yes. And that, that means a lot. And, uh, you know, when we came in, there were a lot of people saying you need to lower the uh, uh, mortgage insurance premiums uh, because you're at your 2% uh, statutory requirement. Well, you know, we uh, felt that that was the bare minimum. And uh, we got it up to a, a very substantial number and people were critical of that. But then what happened? Along came COVID-19. Mm -hmm. and We needed that. Uh, money right. in order to be able to uh, help people to be able to stay in their homes. Uh, so that actually turned out to be a very prudent decision. And those are the kinds of things, you, you know, you, you run government like you would run your home. Yes. And you, you try to look out for things that might happen. And you don't sit there and say, well, you know, next year or the year after that, there'll be somebody else here. No, that's not the right philosophy. The right philosophy is do the right thing at the time, all the time. Excellent. And as we turn from, from philosophy to, to people, I know that as secretary, you had the opportunity to interact with tens of thousands of Americans all over the country. Uh, you saw them during natural disasters. You worked on issues regarding veteran homelessness, creating affordable housing. What are some of the moments that stand out to you from your tenure as HUD, some of those personal moments? Oh, there were so many wonderful moments. But, uh, you know, going to uh, a, a facility, public-private partnership uh, that had been created in, in Salt Lake City uh, for people with Down's syndrome. Mm. And uh, they had programs that were designed to help these people become independent. And the, the, to see the looks of joy on their faces, absolutely spectacular. Uh, also going to uh, one of the facilities for foster youth for independence. This was a program we started after a group of young people from Ohio came and, and told us that, you know, 20,000 young people age out of foster care each year. Right. And a quarter of them end up homeless over the mm -hmm. next four years even more than that are inadequately housed. To be able to go to one of those programs uh, because we were able to put together the Foster Youth Independence Program in four months from the time that they came. We were handing out the first grant. And uh, 
you know, it completely changes the trajectory of their lives. Can you imagine if you were 18 years old and all of a sudden they say, bye-bye, and you got no support? Uh, we can't do that. And, and now I think people understand and realize that. And then the opportunity zones, just amazing, the number of jobs that they've created for people. All of these are programs that I hope people will, will realize are important. The um, Envision Centers, I went to one Envision Center uh, in Oregon. And, um, you know, there were about 40 different businesses in there or concerns mm. in there. And they were able to refer, if somebody came to the wrong place, go down the hall, four doors, right. and talk to that person. And people were able to get the services that they needed. And that's what we need. It's not that we don't have services in our country, but they're hither and thither and yon, and nobody can really access. Right. And I, you know, I'll also just reflect, you know, as governor of, of Missouri, one of my, the most meaningful things that uh, I was able to do was to work with a, an incredible team on this foster care issue. I would hope that Americans would see on issues like this, on foster care, that people should be able to come together, find ways yep. to help these incredibly capable young people who've often faced incredible challenges in their life and have so much to offer uh, to the country. And Absolutely. I, you that, said the critical word there, coming together. Yes. Because, that, you know, the vast, vast majority of Americans are nice people yes. who are willing to reach out and help their neighbors. You know, they don't go and say, are you a Republican or a Democrat? Right. If they see somebody in trouble. It's the media and the political class that stir up all this stuff. Yes. And we've, we've got to find a way to, to get out of it because it will destroy us as a nation. Well, and let, let's talk a little bit about this. You know, this is a time when a lot of Americans are feeling despair. They're feeling hopelessness. Uh, you and I have talked before about the tremendous sources that we have for hope, for faith, uh, for the chances for real revival uh, in this country. What's your, what are your words at a time like this to your fellow Americans about how we revive the republic? Well, I think it's very important not to look to somebody else to, mm -hmm. to solve our problems, not to look to the government to solve our problems, but to realize that every one of us has a sphere of influence. Mm -hmm. We can start right with the people who live in our house, who live in our neighborhood, who live where we work or play, and we can be nice to them. We can reach out to them. We can create the right kind of atmosphere with them. I tell you, it's contagious. And if, if we don't fall for it, it's, it's sort of like... Uh, you know, the disturbances that we had this summer mm. and the disturbance a couple of weeks ago uh, at Capitol. Mm. Uh, the vast, vast majority of those were decent people who just wanted to register, you know, their protests. Along come the troublemakers. And what we need to do is teach people to recognize the agitators and not fall for their tactics. Yes. Just leave them to themselves. They will not be able to do anything. They depend on being able to get everyone else inflamed. It's like when you were in the third grade and everybody was playing nicely on the playground. And then here comes a troublemaker and says, did you hear what he said about your mama? You know, this is this is what we're facing in society. Okay. And, and Dr. Carson, just in the in the 20 seconds uh, that we have left, I know you are a student of history. Any particular moments that you think that your fellow citizens should be looking back on right now to give us hope 
as we as we look forward? Well, you know, I think uh, after uh, Hurricane Maria, uh, Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Irma, the way that people gave. I remember going down came to came together. Houston, yes, and they actually had signs out that said, "Please don't bring any more stuff." <laughs> everybody was. Everybody was. They were all coming together. together. Yes, it, it was, was an incredible moment. Well, Dr. Yes, Carson, I'm sorry. I think we're running right up against a, a break here, sir. We're so grateful to have you on uh, again. Folks, again, that's Dr. Ben Carson, former Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. Stay right with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens. We've been focused a lot on what's been happening here domestically, but there are also major issues happening around the world, which the Biden administration is going to have to tackle. To talk about those issues and others, we're joined now by Susan Katz-Keating. She is Just the News' senior national security correspondent. Susan, thank you so much for making the time to be with us tonight. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Eric. Good to be here. Absolutely. First, Susan, people saw something that they have never seen before during this inauguration. 25,000-plus National Guard troops around Washington, D.C. They saw fences. They saw barbed wire. They saw an inauguration where the vast majority of American citizens weren't allowed to, to attend. And most prominently, they saw those, those National Guard troops. If you could give our viewers a sense for the nature of that deployment, where the National Guard troops came from, what we know about their mission while they were here? All great questions. And I think the, the big thing overall is just to emphasize that these were um, National Guard members who came from around the country. Some even came from Guam. Mm -hmm. They came from New Jersey. There were some from California, Virginia. They were just they came in from all over the place. And if you think about those numbers, that was a division-sized element. So when you think of a division, this is big box war. So we're talking about the kind of things you saw in Korea in World War II, uh, even in Afghanistan early days in Iraq. So this is a major war-footing number with not a major war-fitting mission. And it's just it's remarkable to me the, the optics of this. Of, of bringing in this size force of, you know, essentially, you know, remember, they're National Guard. These are citizen soldiers. They, you know, only come in on, on you know, what, once a month. So they're the kids next door, the people next door, right. uh, your friends and family. They're not professional soldiers, but here they are. They're brought in, and they're, they're doing this security mission in support of, uh, you know, D.C. police, Capitol police, and civilian authorities. Yeah, and let, let's talk through uh, a little bit, Susan. You know, uh, you mentioned uh, National Guard troops coming uh, from Guam. I remember when I was a Joint Task Unit commander in the Horn of Africa, we actually had some great guys from Guam uh, who joined us. Uh, who joined us there? There are 
uh, National Guard members from every American state and, and often uh, from the territories who might be called up for some of these emergencies. They can be deployed into war zones. To give our viewers a sense for 25,000 troops, uh, can you compare that to the deployments that we have right now in Afghanistan and in other places uh, around the world? Just to give, give our viewers a sense for how big of a deployment this was. That, that is, it far exceeds what we have in Afghanistan and Iraq now. Yeah. So we don't even have anywhere near that number overseas. And we've got, you know, some of, as you know, some of the deployments are, they're classified. So we don't yeah. know exactly how many numbers are in places like Africa, but we know that it's not that number. Now, just for frame of reference, if you remember, you dial back in your history to, say, World War II, and talk about another National Guard element from Virginia, uh, 19th Infantry Division, they, um, they stormed the beaches at Normandy. They were right. in that first assault wave. So I'm sorry, 29th Infantry. I'm having a, a moment here. But um, they, they were used in those numbers like I said, for big box combat operations. These were huge, huge wars, and, and during the Cold War, you'd see these kind of massive deployments in places like Germany, like Korea, when we were expecting a major conflict with the Soviet Union. Now, again, we're talking about the mission. Have we had any additional information coming out of the Pentagon or intelligence agencies about the nature of the threats that they were, you know, in theory uh, there to, to defend against. We obviously, and thankfully, the inauguration was uh, incredibly peaceful. There were some reports that there was not actionable intelligence around serious uh, threats. But what do we know now? Uh, any further reporting on potential uh, potential threats related to the inauguration? There was nothing specific that I was able to get, mm. and all of the you know the possible threats kind of fizzled out. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a lot, of course there was a lot of chatter on you know private messaging boards saying, "Hey, let's go to the inaugural," but nobody did it. So there was no specific um, intelligence of we're going to have this number of attackers from X Y Z group coming in to disrupt the inaugural, and it just didn't bear out. You know what the what the fear was. So there was no specific intelligence, and then even in terms of like you saw, uh, some National Guard troops were pulled from the from the assignment, right. and even those uh, did not have any specific threats. But it was basically just out of an abundance of caution. Mm -hmm. And Susan, what do we know uh, right now is happening? Uh, if you could please give our viewers an update on uh, President Biden's nominee for Secretary of Defense. Uh, General Lloyd Austin, he, uh, as you know, had to go through a waiver process because he is you know, too close to having served on, on active duty uh, to be to take that position. And there has to be a seven-year gap. And tonight he was given a he was given a waiver so that he doesn't have to wait the seven years, just like a waiver was given to General Mattis before he became SecDef. So now the next step is going to be voting to uh, approve or deny his nomination.
Yeah, and yeah, and again, for, for all of our viewers, so there is an existing law which says that any retired military officer who's just leaving uh, cannot become the Secretary of Defense without a given waiting period. But for President Trump's first Secretary of Defense, for Secretary Mattis, there was a waiver that was given. Now a waiver has been approved for President Biden's nominee. Uh, what are the major challenges that you're hearing the Pentagon is looking at right now? Uh, that is, the new administration, do you have a sense for where they're going to be focusing American military power? What do they see, the folks in the Biden administration, as the biggest challenges facing the country? I, I would say that the biggest challenges that anyone would have to look at would be in Africa and also in Eastern Europe and mm -hmm. also uh, an ascendant Chinese military looking at yeah. Taiwan, because they're going to, of course, they think that they own Taiwan, and they're going to, at some point, try to take it back. Yes. But the question will be, what will we do about it, and what will we do in Eastern Europe to fight back any kind of Russian incursions, because those are probably coming down the pike as well. Yeah, and then, and then uh, could you touch on Africa as well? You mentioned, you mentioned Africa. There's just a whole lot of um, unrest in Africa, and there are a lot of players who are coming in to that area. It's just a whole mishmash. You know, it's almost like a Star Wars bar scene in Africa where you've got people from, you know, you've got China, you've got um, Saudi Arabia, you've just got all kinds of things going on there. And then you've got some real volatile zones such as, you know, Kenya, Somalia, uh, Boko, Boko Haram and Nigeria. So we, 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 there's both kind of uh, problems that exist, and then you also have a lot of these foreign players coming in, including China and, uh, and Russia, who you mentioned. Uh, if you could, so we, we've talked a little bit about uh, a potential uh, Secretary of Defense, Austin. Uh, do you have a sense right now for other major figures that Biden is looking at to actually staff his national security team and what that might mean in terms of their approach to foreign policy and how it could differ from President Trump's? Well, what I'm seeing and hearing is that Biden is looking at bringing in some of the Obama people who were, you know, in office at the time, you know, when Obama's during Obama's presidency, so that we're going to see probably a rollback toward mm -hmm. uh, some of the policies that uh, that Obama had. I'm thinking that uh, you know I'm looking at what's going to happen regarding China, and very interested in uh, Russia's posturings because. Russia is now saying very loudly yeah. that they think that, that they're going to be demonized. You know, mm -hmm. They're waiting for it. Yeah, and what's your sense also regarding Afghanistan? You know, President Trump uh, made a big push, especially in his last couple of months, to make sure that he kept that promise of bringing American troops home from Afghanistan, who had been there, of course, since September 11th, uh, 2001, and thousands of them are still there. Any indications right now of what Biden's approach might be in Afghanistan? Um, I, I haven't heard anything specifically, but, you know, my sense is that he, he may go ahead and proceed with what some of the drawdown, some mm -hmm. of it. But, you know, the, the Taliban has not really cooperated. Right. They, they haven't, you know, gone by the agreement. They're, they're you know, stepping up their violence, or they have been. So it's a tough, it's a, it's a tough call because, we don't want to have these endless wars. You know, it's it's hard when you see Americans, you know, over and over again going over there. But on the other hand, 
what's going to happen when we leave. Right. And Susan, when, you, uh, when you're talking to folks in, in and around the Pentagon, what are the big stories just in the last 30 seconds or so that we have? What are the big stories that you're looking at possibly developing over the course of the next week to 10 days? Absolutely looking at the China posturing mm -hmm. and looking at how scared is Russia getting mm -hmm. because Russia is acting like it's pretty alarmed by, by the Biden administration. Like sometimes they just, you know, mouth off, but we'll see what we'll see how that goes. Excellent. Well, Susan, we very much appreciate you joining us as ever. Appreciate all of your, your insights, especially so many of them coming directly from uh, from the Pentagon and from America's uh, intelligence professionals. Again, folks, that's Susan Katz-Keating, Just the News' senior national security correspondent. To check out some of her stories and others on American foreign policy and the Biden administration, you can go out to Just the News. Com. Again, stay right here with us at Actionable Intelligence. We're going to be back in just a minute. Welcome back to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Reitens. We always work to bring you the stories and perspectives that you can't get from the mainstream media. And recently in the news, you've seen Mike Lindell. He's a big supporter of President Trump's, who's recently come under fire for that support. We're going to go now to an interview from War Room on Real America's Voice with My Pillow founder Mike Lindell, who tells an inspiring story about overcoming his own personal challenges and building his business. Take a listen. The reason the podcast is so, so big. Uh, so, and, and this is Lao Beijing. It's old hundred names in China. It's working class people throughout the world that support the MAGA agenda or nationalist populists in their own countries, working class people, middle class people. Your story is so amazing, and particularly what you built of what they're trying to destroy because you stood up as a free man and wanted to have your thoughts out there, your opinions out there. Walk through your story briefly. What, what, how, how did you, because I know you went through some tough times. Walk through where you've really come from in life. Well, I was uh, an ex-addict. I was uh, from everything from compulsive gambling to crack cocaine. And God set me free of that on January 6th, uh, January 16, 2009. And at that point, I invented my pillow um, in 2004. So I had these two tracks of, I was a very functioning addict for a while in the 80s and 90s, but then it turned into crack cocaine and um, it started bringing me down. I pretty much had lost everything and uh, people were taking stuff from me too that was uh, a lot of betrayal. And, uh, but the, uh, when I came out of addiction, I'm going, what did I miss? I mean, I, I never thought politics had to do with anything in, in my life and uh, it didn't affect me, but I looked around me and my friends were losing their homes. My, there was a president giving money to an evil empire. All these things had changed. I'm going, you know, what, what's going on here? Well, in the summer of 2016, Donald Trump reached out to me when he was the candidate. He was the then candidate Donald Trump. And in a, in a private meeting in New York City on August 15, 2016. And when I met him, um, I walked in. It was just him and I. We talked about 
uh, bringing the jobs back because I do I do make my pillow here. I have, right now I have 20, 2,500 employees. And he, uh, he says, I want to bring the manufacturing back to the U.S. And I said, you know, I used to be a crack cocaine addict. And I said, I'm going to have this platform to help addiction and get millions of people out of addiction. He said, I'll stop the drugs pouring in. But this, it was just an amazing conversation with him. Uh, all the things he was going to do. And I thought, wow, what a, he's going to be the greatest president ever. It was problem, solution. And they all sounded great. And I go, wow, if he kept those promises, it would be amazing. But I went a lot of them that day. And, and they all said, he's a great leader. Um, he's done something for me personally. He's a great boss. And, and I'm going, so I kind of validated everything he had, that I had just seen. Well, I went back to my home state in Minnesota and I told, I told told all the press and the media that I was going to, you know, that I had a meeting with Donald Trump. And and it was crickets. Nobody said anything. And then the attacks started coming. They called me a racist. They called me everything. And, uh, well, I knew I was on the right path then. And I went all in. And I, that's where I realized now, um, after two, uh, four years of battling the media and battling um, and fighting for this country and, and backing the greatest president that I believe that we've ever had. And uh, and I um Mike I Mike how, hang hang on hang, 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 hang on one second I just want to go back in time for something because I want to talk about building the company and what you've built and, and the employees okay. and get back to the Trump part of it. You said you had a, a moment uh, your life changed on 16 January 2009. Could you share with the audience what exactly that was and how how a guy who well. Who, Obviously started business, but was compulsive gambler, was a crack addict, was doing all this. How, what, what was that incident that changed your life? Well, I knew if I waited one more day, my calling would be gone. I, my calling would be gone. I knew my pillow was just a platform for God and that, uh, you know, something big was going to happen. I had a big calling on my life. And I even had, had the drug dealers do an intervention on me at one point. And I'll it, to quickly tell that I was downtown Minneapolis and Minnesota there and and staying down there I had a warrant out for my arrest which I was found innocent on later but I, I uh, came out of the room I'd been up for two weeks uh, with no sleep and I came out and they said um, you're gonna um, we're cutting you off you've been up for two weeks and you're not you're not getting you're not buying any more crack and I said what is this an intervention and they said call it what you want Mike and I, the two of them left, and then one of them fell asleep by the time I was carpet farming for crack. And I went down to the streets of Minneapolis, and I couldn't buy it anywhere. They had completely shut me up. I came back upstairs, and here's what he said. He goes, you've been telling us for years that this my pillow thing is just a platform for God, and you're going to come back sometime when you quit, and you're going to help us all out of this addiction world we're living in. And two of these guys are born-again Christians that work for me now. But – but uh. So I had all that happen, but on January 16, 2009, I prayed that I would be freed of the desire. I said, okay, God, I want to be freed of this desire, and I'll do this platform, whatever you got lined for me, I'll give it all to you. And uh, I woke up the next day, and the desire was gone. I've never looked back. I went to, I did go to a faith-based uh, treatment center from our church about two months later and found out why I was an addict in the first place. But I, it, but you know, those were great seeds that were planted there for, for me. And I ended up doing a full surrender to God, to Jesus on, on February 18, 2017, which, uh, so God's played a huge role in where I'm at now. I give it all to God, as a matter of fact. And, but I'll tell you from that point on, when I, when I came out of addiction there, 
my pillow was just a little, my business was just a little yeah, blip but, on but, the radar. Hang on, before I get to the thing, I just got, you're saying that it was your dealers or the guys getting you cracked that were also acts. They, you were so far gone and so over the top that they actually did the intervention for you to say, hey, we, you got to stop this or you're going to be gone. And two of those guys are now born again Christians and work with you? Yes, that's right. And you got to realize that I would tell them this all the time that you guys, I have, I have this calling and I said, uh, and I would, I would talk about um, the book or books in the Bible I read about when I was in jail. I would tell all the, all my friends all the time, including the dealers. So I was like their hope. They really believed me when I talked, I was so transparent all the time. I still am. And they really believed me. So there, I was like their hope. And, uh, you know, and Mike, if you can't get out of this, uh, you know, we need your, you know, we need we need somebody to lead us out of this, so to speak, and uh, and it's uh, right now I have this Lindell Recovery Network, and it's going to be uh, this huge platform that's helping millions get out of addiction now. Your, your prayers, I just want to make sure you you've been a compulsive gambler, you're a compulsive crack, you know, crack cocaine, all of it, and through prayer, that burning desire that it's 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 so overwhelming to so many people in the nation so many people throughout right. the world that just can't do it because of their own human willpower you're saying that through prayer that you just woke up one day and that desire was totally gone the desire was gone but let me let me tell you i want to i want to be clear here when i did go back to two months later went to a faith based treatment center and I kind of I wanted to find out why I was an addict in the first place, if there was an answer to that. And here's what I know now. You know, I the, the you get from childhood, people get wounds, they get um, trauma, uh, fatherlessness. My parents divorced when I was seven years old and back when divorces weren't common. So I got put into a school where I was the only kid from a broken home. So I felt like an outcast. I felt like I didn't fit in. I was very shy. I couldn't talk to people. I would show off to fit in. I would say, hey, watch me jump out the school bus window and, and do things either one extreme to another and and to try and fit in. I think that's co the common thing here is uh, people that, you know, we get false, you know, drugs and, and addictions, or I don't care what it is, they mask pain, they give us false courage all these things that addictions do to uh, that is just a cover up fear of rejection. If you don't talk to people, you don't get rejected. And, uh, and I, I, I really believe that um, the key to this is, is, uh, is God is Jesus. And they, and, and that's, uh, that's what's worked. If you look at faith-based treatment centers, they are, they work 80% and above secular treatment centers, 5% below. And that's fact. You can't lie on that. Real, real quick, we've got two minutes in this segment. Just give us an update on the Recovery Network. What it, tell us what your recovery. We've got two minutes. What's your recovery network? How can people it's, find it's out the, about it? It's the lindellrecoverynetwork.org or .com, either one. But uh, what it is, you go there, and it's, there's, there's still pieces because I kind of fell behind with it because I focused on this election fraud for the last couple months. But uh, it's out there in a way right now. You can go there and um, – what it is, it's going to get you. It's a commonality of hope. You'll see, you'll see other people there, and that's your hope match. I call them a hope match. You know, one of the things that happened to me, my friend came to me in 2008 before I quit, and he was. We had we had everything in common. We had uh, we had both started cocaine at the time, both start, went to crack, but he had been set free four years earlier, 
and and by God. And I and I asked him, I said, Dick, is it boring? And he said, No, man, it ain't boring. So we had this commonality. I've kind of used that premise to on my Lindell Recovery Network and use things that are already in place around our country, which is the best places to get help, the best place I have the best online help, and the best uh, involving our churches where they're even offering help. So it's an amazing network, and it's going to keep growing and growing when I get back to it. But you know, there's nowhere better person to guide that than somebody that's been there. I've been there, and other addicts have been there. You know, Mike, hang on for one second. We're going to take a short commercial break, and we're going to come back with Mike Lindell, an amazing story. Again, that is, it's an amazing story about recovery from addiction, about building faith, and then about also turning around and helping your fellow American citizens. Uh, you've seen Mike Lindell come under attack from the mainstream media because of his support for President Trump. I think, as always, it's good to humanize our fellow Americans and to share some stories just like that. Well, as ever, it's great to be with you on Actionable Intelligence. You can go out right now to get the latest stories about what's happening at justthenews.com. And we'll be back with you tomorrow night right here, same time. Stay here for Dr. Gita Primetime, coming right up.